It will not be my intention to do anything I, to, to benefit any, any American. <laughs> oh, Ben Carson, you remain delightful. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Dumb, but delightful. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. No, I'm not. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From the Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK. 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, muckraker, troublemaker, and all-around affable fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. All right, uh, hold your breath, catch your breath. Uh, we are trying to keep up with the uh, the torrent of news uh, as it uh, continues to pour forth this week uh, out of uh, Washington, D.C. and points beyond. Um, coming up, however, free speech activist, First Amendment champion, and publisher of Hustler magazine, Larry Flint, will join me with a few of his thoughts about the various media failures that have brought us to this insane point in American history, when I think it is fair to say that America is now broken. Am I overstating that, Desi? Uh, maybe I am. I don't know. It just feels like... Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. I should uh, <laughs> let you respond there. Uh, it, it just feels like uh, it, everything we know about America, at least American governance, at least the federal governance, is now broken. Nobody actually knows what the hell is going on and and what is is going to happen over the next years well, at we this don't, point. I, I don't know that we can say that it's broken already. Oh, I, I can. Think I, we just can. I know. I think the yeah. media is definitely broken and the process of transitioning to a new president is definitely broken. As far as the country altogether, I think there are too many of us right now to let it be completely broken just yet. Uh, to allow it to be completely broken is what just you're saying. Yet. Well, There's just still yet. Time. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, here is one of the things that I guess, sort of, kind of, might be, maybe working about the uh, about the U.S. government at this point. Uh, today, as we go to air, the justice the Justice Department's Inspector General announced that he will launch an investigation into the DOJ and FBI's actions. In the months leading up to the 2016 election, including whether department policies were properly followed by FBI Director James Comey. 
Democrats, of course, have been furious at Comey and his handling of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server and Comey's uh, late October release of a letter uh, about the case as uh, among the reasons for her loss to Republican Donald Trump. Inspector General Michael Horowitz said that the investigation would look at whether department or FBI policies were actually followed in relation to Comey's actions in the case, coming out, talking about this investigation into the emails, talking about um, these new emails that were found uh, and then turned up to be absolutely nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Clinton and her aides have said that those disclosures of these quote unquote new emails that were found on the laptop belonging to Anthony Weiner Uh, Less than two weeks before Election Day, they've been claiming that that hurt her in several battleground states. And there's there's no doubt about it that it it did. How much? We don't know. Nonetheless, uh, Comey's actions in that entire affair have uh, outraged uh, Clinton and other Democrats who said that it needlessly placed her under suspicion when the FBI didn't even know if the emails at the time were relevant. And it also appears to go against a Department of Justice policy not to uh, a make investigation, make comments on any investigation that is ongoing, much less in the days before an election. And that's something that has been a longstanding policy. The DOJ is not supposed to, for example, bring indictments um, in, in, in a matter that might in some uh, in some respect have an effect on an election coming up in just a matter of weeks. So uh, good to have government watchdogs. I guess at least that part is not yet broken. Um, And another uh, government watchdog that has been especially helpful of late is the Office of Government Ethics, whose director, Walter Schaub, blasted the plan, blasted the plan that Trump announced at his insane press conference yesterday uh, where Trump said he would not sell off any of his business interests And uh, in addition to not divesting, he will also not be placing any of it into a blind trust, but rather just letting his sons pretend uh, to handle the business for a while while he pretends to look the other way. Uh, We we covered this a little bit on air. This broke yesterday during the broadcast while we were on air. But uh, more details now uh, on Wednesday. The, uh, the head of the Office of Government Ethics, Walter Schaub, slammed Donald Trump's plan to separate himself from his business, calling it, quote, wholly inadequate in resolving potential conflicts of interest. He said that the plan the president-elect announced doesn't meet the standards that the best of his nominees are meeting and that every president in the last four decades have met. Stepping back from running his business is meaningless from a conflict of interest perspective, Schaub said. Schaub said the only way for Trump to avoid conflicts between his business empire and the presidency is to sell his assets and place them into a blind trust. Uh, The plan rolled out Wednesday, he said, falls far short of that. We can't risk the perception that government leaders would use their official positions for professional profit. He said, but Trump has said he will not be selling any of his uh, real estate holdings. The agreement also does not constitute a blind trust, Schaub pointed out, which would be a case where neither uh, Trump nor his family members would have any control. They do have control. And of course, he will continue talking to his sons, presumably, while Trump claims that he's giving up control of his business. 
he would still have access to information such as profit and loss statements. This is not a blind trust. It is not even close, Schaub said. He went on to say it's important to understand that the president is now entering the world of public service. He's going to be asking his own appointees to make sacrifices. He's going to be asking our men and women in uniform to risk their lives in conflicts around the world. So, no, Schaub says, I don't think divestiture is too high a price to to pay to be the president of the United States. Uh, And that point is an important one. Uh, Schaub said the signal a president sends sets the tone for ethics across the executive branch. Indeed, it does. And indeed, we're going to see so much corruption. Uh, What do they say? A fish rots from the head down. We are going to see so much corruption across the uh, across the federal government. Uh, certainly across the executive branch, but really across the entire government, because you've got the president of the United States setting an example this way, deciding that, uh, oh, he can do anything he wants when it comes to uh, the way he, he cares to run things, no matter the laws, no matter the traditions and the norms, no matter the appearance of conflict of interest, even if he's uh, doesn't, even if he makes a decision that has nothing to do with something he might be involved with, the mere appearance of conflict of interest is to be uh, avoided. So uh, today we learn, uh, just by way of an example, another place where Trump's own conflicts of interest may collide with U.S. government policies in the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Now, despite any government experience or uh, or experience in the the housing sector uh, and, and frankly, despite his previous insistence that he did not have the knowledge or skill set to run any government agency, Former Republican presidential candidate Dr. Ben Carson uh, has now been tapped by Donald Trump to be the chief of health, uh, housing and urban development, HUD. Uh, he has not been. He's a, he's a neurosurgeon. He's a respected surgeon. Uh, But he was not named to be Surgeon General. He was not named to be the head even of Health and Human Services, but he was named to head up HUD for some reason. Carson is an African-American. That may have something to do with it. He grew up in urban Detroit, and I think he spent some time in public housing uh, as he was growing up. So, So there's his experience, apparently, to run a federal agency with a $50 billion a year budget in the Trump administration. So this is akin to because he, you know, he grew up uh, poor. He grew up in, in an urban surrounding. I guess this is akin uh, to uh, someone had I received a lot of medical care as a child. I guess that would be my experience. Uh, they could name me a surgeon general. Well, why not? I think that would work these days. Hey, I, you know, I got experience. I've I've been in hospitals before. In a uh, in a letter that Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren sent to uh, to Carson in advance of his confirmation hearings that were today, uh, she she wrote to him. Although you have many accomplishments in the medical field, there is relatively little in the public record that reveals how you would further HUD's mission to create strong, sustainable, inclusive communities and quality, affordable homes for all. Elizabeth Warren is on the uh, the uh, the Senate committee uh, who held the uh, hearing in the House today uh, in the uh, U.S. Senate today. Uh, 
But before she was even able to get to that, uh, her questions went back once again to Donald Trump's conflict of interest and his continuing and unprecedented conflicts that will stretch into virtually every aspect of his uh, of his administration. Uh, so this uh, the point came up. She brought this. She raised this right at the top of her questioning today in the Senate Banking, House and Urban Affairs Committee. Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat, asked Ben Carson about some of those potential conflicts uh, between HUD housing and Trump's business. I just want to get an answer to, a, I think, a simple yes or no question. If you are confirmed to lead HUD, you'll be responsible for issuing billions of dollars in grants and loans to help develop housing and provide a lot of housing-related services. Now, housing development is an area in which President-elect Trump and his family have significant business interests. Can you assure me that not a single taxpayer dollar that you give out will financially benefit the president-elect or his family? Well, uh, Senator, uh, I was worried that you wouldn't get back. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> it was all like this. God, he's uh, weird. I can assure you uh, that the things that I do are driven by a sense of morals and values. And therefore, I will absolutely not play favorites for anyone. Dr. Carson, I, let me stop right there. I, I'm actually trying to ask a more pointed question, and it's not about your good faith. That's not my concern. My concern is whether or not, among the billions of dollars that you will be responsible for handing out, in grants and loans. Can you just assure us that not one dollar will go to benefit either the president-elect or his family? It will not be my intention to do anything I, to, to benefit any, any American. I understand that. It's for all Americans, but everything may, that we do. Do I take that to mean that you may manage programs that benefit the president-elect? You can take it to mean that I will manage things in a way that benefits the American people. That is going to be the goal. Uh, to the best uh, you understand it, that. You it, if there happens to be an extraordinarily uh, good program that's working for millions of people and it turns out that, that, that someone that you're targeting is going to gain you know, $10 from it, am I going to say, no, the rest of you Americans can't have it? I think logic and common sense probably would be the best way. Yeah, although we do have a problem here, and I appreciate your good faith in this, and I do, Dr. Carson. The problem is that you can't assure us that HUD money, not of $10 varieties, but of multi-million dollar varieties, will not end up in the president-elect's pockets. And the reason you can't assure us of that is because the president-elect is hiding his family's business interests from you, from me, from the rest of America. And this just highlights the absurdity and the danger of the president-elect's refusal to put his assets in a true blind trust. He knows, he, the president-elect, knows what will benefit him and his family financially, but the public doesn't 
which means he can divert taxpayer money into his own pockets without anyone knowing about it. The only way that the American people can know that the president is working in their best interests and not in his own is if he divests and puts his assets in a true blind trust. Transferring his holdings to his children does nothing, as the head of the nonpartisan ethics committee said just last night. Since the president-elect refuses to address this voluntarily, we need to pass the Presidential Conflicts of Interest Act that I introduced with more than 20 of my colleagues, which would require him to do so. Yeah, well, good luck with that, Elizabeth Warren, because if you pass it now, uh, the bill would need to be signed by Donald Trump, who would not want to sign it. That was Elizabeth Warren, uh, Democrat, uh, in the hearings today for Ben Carson, the uh, Donald Trump's nominee for uh, the head of the health and I keep saying that of the uh, human housing and urban Thank development. You. Thank you. <laughs> In the Senate Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs Committee. Now, one of the things that jumps out at me from all of these uh, inexperienced administrators that Trump has uh, nominated and tapped for these positions, an inexperienced administrator is very vulnerable. They have to rely on experts to tell them what needs to be done, the different policies that have been tried historically, the ones that worked, the ones that didn't work, what to do going forward. They are dependent on those advisors' counsel. For good or ill, we don't know. It depends on who those experts are. If they're there for yeah. personal profit, that's what he's going to hear about. That's what I was going to say. It depends if they're actually experts or right. if they're political appointees getting him to do whatever the or hell he wants. Or Now, uh, Car so Carson, um, you know, speaking of hidden assets, uh, these these hearings have been, uh, you know, just coming uh, down like crazy in the U.S. Senate as far as our ability and the media abilities to follow them. Republicans have delayed a number of these. One of them that they delayed from yesterday was Congressman Monk, Mike Pompeo, the uh, uh, the uh, Trump's choice for CIA director. That was moved from yesterday to today. So that took place uh, today as well, uh, as did uh, Mattis, James Mad Dog Mattis. Is that how you say? Is, is that yeah. really what they call him? He hates that term, by the way. Does he? He hates being called that. That was not something that anybody except somebody in the press dubbed him that, and he's stuck with it. Yeah, well, Donald Trump keeps calling him Mad Dog all the time. Now, what we may be able to feel a little bit better about, maybe, kind of, in addition to the fact that there are some watchdogs who still exist... Uh, another point that I'm starting to notice here in, in quite a few uh, areas, many of the promises and claims and rhetoric made by Donald Trump and by Republicans in general for so many years, they're slowly being revealed uh, to be little more than what they always were, partisan scams that were meant really, uh, you know, to raise the ire of their constituents against Democrats and against Barack Obama's accomplishments and to raise money for their scammy right wing political groups and the various election campaigns they ran against Democrats. Uh, so they've been making these promises, uh, you know, these outrages, these claims for years about this and, and that. But now that they're actually in charge of the government in all three uh, branches of government, now they've actually got to do something about all of these pretend outrages they've been claiming. Take, for example, the Iran anti-nuclear deal. It was actually a very good deal. It was good for the U.S. Uh, and the others who oppose the idea of Iran being able to produce nuclear weapons. But because it was negotiated and supported 
uh, and successfully completed by Democrats, uh, Republicans, for years now have been pretending that, oh, this this agreement, it's a disaster. It needs to be ripped up. Trump himself called the Iran Treaty, um, made with, by the way, several of the biggest European countries, as well as China, as well as Russia. Trump called it the worst deal he'd ever seen in his life. He vowed to tear it to shreds if elected. That was a, a promise, but... Uh, of course, that was then. Now, retired General James Mattis uh, is going to be the uh, is, has been tapped as the defense secretary. And uh, he had his hearing on uh, on Thursday in the Senate Armed Services Committee. And he said that he believes, well, the U.S. should honor the nuclear deal with Iran after all. Your comments at CSIS indicated that despite misgivings about JCPOA, in your words, there's no going back. And uh, short of a clear and pleasant violation, that was enough to simulate uh, the Europeans' action as well, that we have to essentially stay the course. Is that still your view? <laughs> Sir, I think it is an imperfect arms control agreement. It's not a friendship treaty. But when America gives her word, we have to live up to it and work with our allies he sounded a little sad there about that, but uh, that gave some comfort, at least to me. And Desi, I know that you said uh, you were uh, you noticed an interesting response. You were you were on duty to watch that particular hearing today. You noticed an interesting response from both Democrats and Republicans in this committee uh, throughout today's uh, hearing concerning the problem that. Uh, Mattis now faces as he's he's a recently retired general. He's tapped to be the civilian head of the Department of Defense, which by law means that he must have been retired from active duty for at least seven years unless the Senate votes to give him a waiver to allow him to serve. He's only been out, I think, for four years. I think it was three and a half. Three and a half yeah. years. Yeah. So but you notice from Republicans and Democrats alike. Oh, yeah, it was very, point. very bipartisan across the entire hearing. They were all expressed extreme concern about the necessity of having civilian control of the military and how important that is. But they said this time. We're so glad you're here because he's not insane. Yes. And, they, and they're basically concerned about Donald Trump uh, and Donald Trump's ability to govern. Uh, I think you got uh, Tim Kaine uh, talking to him on that point. Yeah. The traditional restriction to secretary of defense that requires some period in civilian life before serving is a very important one. And I also uh, agree with him that features of the times, features of, frankly, my concerns about the incoming administration and features in your background, I think, make this an opportune moment to make an exception. So they that was a Democratic uh, Senator Tim Kaine, the vi Hillary Clinton's vice presidential candidate, saying, yeah, I think we'll make an, ex an exception here because you're kind of a person who is not insane, who actually has some experience in the field. And we're really worried about Donald Trump as president oh, of the United States. Oh, it came up again States. and again and again about Trump temperament and how important it was to have somebody who was steady in the White House. So maybe we can uh, take some comfort from that. Uh, and uh, and again, from that collision with reality for Republicans that, yes, they wanted to the, the Iran uh, treaty was the terrible thing. It was the worst deal ever. It needs to be ripped to shreds. Although now that we're in office, oh, maybe it's not so bad because in truth, it's a good treaty.
And that is, you know, being exposed now that they are the dog that caught up with the bus. That same collision with reality uh, for Republicans, akin to the admission that the Iran deal isn't all that bad now that they're in control of, of the government. That's also catching up with them on their pretend hatred of the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. That story of that dog finally catching up with that bus is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Well, reality is still a friend of mine. It may not be a friend for Republicans, though. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Coming up momentarily, Larry Flint of Hustler Magazine will be joining us. He has taken out an ad in Variety blasting the failure of the media to do their job, blaming them for the mess we're in. Hard to disagree with him there. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Flint will be joining us uh, shortly. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Wall Street Journal reported last month that when he campaigned for president, Donald Trump made repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act a signature issue of his. However, polling last month in December suggests that such a move uh, to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act would have the biggest impact on communities that Donald Trump himself uh, found some of his highest levels of support. A Wall Street Journal analysis of the counties um, that, that have seen the biggest coverage gains under the Affordable Care Act found that those that supported Donald Trump were amongst those that benefited the most. Using Gallup data alongside uh, the, the county typology from the American Communities Project, Wall Street Journal zeroed in on the eight different county types where the level of insurance coverage under Obamacare had seen a bigger increase than the national levels. Six of those types they found representing about 77 million people or 33 million votes. That's a quarter of the total cast had sided with Donald Trump, some by very large margins. For example, Native American lands, which supported Trump by a 5% margin, incredibly, uh, saw a 14.8% increase in their insured, according to this study. This is compared to a 3.9% national average increase in the insured. Working class uh, uh, countries saw a s almost 7-point increase that's above the uh, almost four-point national average increase in the insured, while uh, they working-class folks uh, reportedly supported Trump overwhelmingly by a 46% margin. The other Trump-supporting uh, communities where coverage increased above the national average were uh, what they call graying America, uh, rural, middle America, evangelical hubs, and so forth. 
The journal said that if Trump keeps his campaign promise to scrap and replace the ACA, communities that gave him some of his biggest margins would likely see the biggest impact. Well, no wonder. No wonder Republicans are kind of freaking out right now, figuring out what to do uh, about Obamacare that they have pretended to hate for all of these years, pretended that it was a huge catastrophe. Well, late last night, in the middle of the night, not while people were actually watching, but at 1 a.m., uh, the Senate passed a measure to take the first step towards dismantling Obama's health care law. They're responding to pressure to move quickly, according to the AP, even as Republicans and President-elect Trump grapple with what the hell to replace it with. They held a nearly party-line vote, 51 to 48, early Thursday morning, and it uh, this was a non-binding res- uh, Republican-backed resolution, however, that will ease the way for action on uh, on repealing the legislation as soon as next month. Senator Rand Paul, he voted against the measure. Uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul, uh, Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein was not there. She's dealing with medical issues. Uh, Other than that, it was a party line vote. Mitch McConnell said we must act quickly to bring relief to the American people. Again, pretending that uh, Obamacare is some sort of a disaster. The House will vote on the measure on Friday. Some Republicans there have misgivings about setting the repeal effort in motion without a better idea of the replacement plan. Nonetheless, Thursday's Senate procedural vote sets up a special budget rule that will allow a repeal vote to take place with a simple majority in the Senate instead of the 60 votes that would be required for uh, for most legislation uh, to overcome a filibuster. So that means that Republicans who control 52 seats, they can push through repeal legislation without any Democratic cooperation. But... For many elements of the uh, of the health care law, Republicans will most likely need 60 votes and Democrat, which means they need Democratic support to replace the bill. They can repeal it on their own, but they're going to need Democrats to help them replace it. And right now, AP reports the two parties are not even talking passage of the measure on Thursday would permit follow-up legislation to escape the threat of a filibuster by Senate Democrats, but Republicans themselves are not even close to an agreement on what Obamacare replacement should or will look like. Of course, if you haven't been following along, if you've been listening only to uh, right-wing propaganda, uh, you might not know that the uh, the 2010 health care law extended health insurance to at least 20 million Americans. It prevents insurers from denying coverage for pre-existing conditions. It steered billions of dollars to states for the Medicaid health program. Republicans fought the effort, of course, uh, tooth and nail and uh, pretended that it was outrageous, pretended that it was a disaster and used it to get big electoral wins, both in uh, in 2010 and 2014 and uh, arguably even last year. Oh, and don't forget that that so-called disaster also helped curb the growth of health care costs. Oh, yeah, it did. Tremendously. It, uh, it, it, it slowed the growth. Yes, premiums are still rising. But less but they than they been, were before. Less than they were, less than they have risen in decades. So what's actually going on here? And will the Republicans actually be able to pull this off? Do they even want to pull this off at this point? That's the problem. That's that that's the dog catching up with the bus. Now they've got nothing to stop them. They can repeal this horrible law. They can replace it with something better. 
But the fact of the matter is they have no clue how to replace this. And it's not a disaster. They're pretending it's a disaster to get elected. But now that they're, you know, now that they actually have to keep their campaign promise to repeal this uh, this horrific catastrophe, they're realizing they're going to throw a whole bunch of their very own constituents uh, off of health care. And they're going to be in trouble. And they're realizing that now and they're trying to figure out what the hell to do about it. And they have no idea what to do about it. Going back earlier this week, and this has sort of all been going on uh, in the background while everything else, all of these uh, confirmation hearings have been going on. Donald Trump's press conference yesterday. All of that is going on at the same time as Republicans are figuring out how to keep their campaign promise to destroy Obamacare. Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee, he's one of the Republicans who has been Republicans who has been skeptical of the plan to repeal or to repeal the Affordable Care Act without a replacement. And he talked about his concerns on Monday. Uh, he pointed to how lawmakers will fund its replacement if the Obamacare taxes are repealed right away. That's what they're talking about doing. We're going to repeal it, which means the taxes that paid for it will go away. The, the, the wealthy people will no longer have to pay this uh, tiny, frankly, tiny percentage of, uh, of, of increased taxes. And that means if they want to replace it with anything down the road, they're going to have to raise taxes. And Republicans really, really, really don't like to raise taxes. Tierney Sneed over at TPM, a Talking Points Memo, has been doing some great work on this following a sort of the backroom machinations that are going on uh, behind the scenes in the uh, GOP caucus in both the House and the Senate. And I want to pull from some of her work here. She said uh, she quotes uh, Corker as saying, it just seems to me that probably you're better off working this all out together, not repealing it right now and then replacing it in three years when you're going to have to try to convince Republicans to raise taxes. He said uh, it may not end up being the case uh, as far as working all of this out, both repeal and replacement together. And that, of course, means that it would take Democratic cooperation to repeal it down the road. Uh, But Corker said, I think that people are beginning to realize that throwing one hundred and sixteen billion dollars in a mud puddle is a pretty big deal. That's the one hundred and sixteen billion dollars that it would actually end up costing the federal government if they actually do go ahead and go forward with their uh, with their plan uh, to repeal this thing. On Monday, uh, he was asked if there have been discussions what the about the discussions among caucus members. Corker said there aren't really discussions right now. Really? Kind of amazing. He added that each of us are talking to folks who may be with the incoming administration and others about some of the issues, but there isn't some sort of group discussion. There's no group discussion. There is no plan. The Republicans have absolutely no plan on how to do this. They have been talking about, remember, Obamacare was passed in in 2010. We are six years later, and they don't know what to do, and they are just now coming to terms with that reality. Corker said it's hard to allay a fear like if if you do away with all the revenues and continue subsidies because they're promising, you know, we're, we're going to stop these taxes, but we're still going to continue with Obamacare until we have something to replace it with three years from now. To continue with the subsidies, you're throwing $116 billion into a mud puddle. He said, I don't know if you alleviate that kind of concern. He says it is just very real. It seems to me that if you're going to keep providing subsidies, 
You ought to keep generating some revenues to pay for it. Leadership so far, however, has a signal that they intend to move forward, and that was the vote that was held last night by Mitch McConnell to begin that process, uh, to try to uh, to undo, to try to uh, unwind this, at least to make their supporters feel good about it, even though their supporters, at least their voters, are some of the people who are benefiting the most from this. So that was a corker. But five GOP senators have been proposing delay on this thing entirely uh, until, you know, they figure out how the hell to replace it. Rob Portman of Ohio said in a statement this week uh, that this amendment to get started with the with the repeal, this amendment will ensure that we move forward with a smart, responsible plan to replace the law as quickly as possible. But he said this amendment would uh, hold things off, hold off the plan for the final vote on repeal at least until March rather than going the end of the month. Right now, Republicans are barreling through talking about doing this all at the end of the month without any plan to replace it. So uh, on the House side, that was the Senate side, and you've got uh, at least five senators who are now proposing some form of delay. Uh, Corker, Portman, Susan Collins of Maine, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. And on the House side, rank-and-file members there now have expressed a desire to slow the process down as well. After a meeting on Monday evening, Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina, the chair of the House Freedom Caucus... That would be the Tea Party Caucus, said there is a, quote, overwhelming consensus among the group of conservative hardliners that they would like to see more specifics about the plan to repeal and replace Obamacare before voting on a budget resolution to begin dismantling it. Meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump uh, doesn't seem to be notice noticing any of this. Uh, he has been pressing Republicans earlier this week. He pressed uh, the Republicans to move forward with immediate repeal of the Affordable Care Act. He's saying uh, we, we have to get to business. Obamacare has been a catastrophic event. No, it hasn't. Trump's position, uh, however, in saying we got to do this immediately uh, undercuts all of these other Republicans who say, no, we need to slow down and figure this out. He spoke about it again. He was asked about it at his uh, his crazy press conference on Wednesday. Here was his comments about uh, should we repeal it and then replace it years later or should we do it right away? Here was his uh, crazy comments. We're going to be submitting as soon as our secretary is approved, almost simultaneously, shortly thereafter, a plan. It'll be repeal and replace. It will be essentially simultaneously. It will be various segments, you understand, but will most likely be on the same day or the same week, but probably the same day, could be the same hour. Obamacare is the Democrats' problem. We are going to take the problem off the shelves for them. We're doing them a tremendous service by doing it. <laughs> we could sit back and let them hang with it. We are doing the Democrats a great service. Yes, a, a fantastic service. 
but uh, so there seems to be no communication at all between uh, the House, the Senate, and uh, and Donald Trump on this. In the meantime, Paul Ryan, House Speaker. Uh, met with uh, some transition officials and said that he agrees with Trump on the Affordable Care Act, that it uh, that the marketplaces were in a death spiral. The, the federal not exchanges, true. not true. They are not. Uh, and in fact, new enrollment numbers from the Obama administration uh, prove that's not the case. Despite increasing premiums and this torrent of negative news about the future of the health care law, New York Times reports uh, enrollment under the act's health care plans has continued to grow. People like it. There are now 11.5 million people who have chosen the marketplace plans for this year. That's 300,000 more than at this time last year. Today's uh, data shows that this market is not merely stable. It's actually on track for growth, according to um, a senior counsel at Sylvia Matthews Burwell, the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Uh, in a conference call with reporters today, we can officially proclaim these death spiral claims to be dead. But uh, Trump doesn't care. Trump's not listening. And um, (laughs) Senator uh, Ron Johnson said that we have to repair this thing. We've got to repair it so the Republic can use it as opposed to killing it. They they were comparing it now to repairing a bridge rather than building an entirely new one, repairing the old one that is there. And many rank-and-file Republicans are now growing uneasy with the idea of gutting this thing of gutting uh, Obamacare as they had promised for so long. How do we get the votes for replace? Johnson asks. He doesn't know. He says he takes uh, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic uh, leader, at his word that if we repeal, they're not going to help at all. That's what the Republicans are dealing with. They have uh, they are the dog that caught the bus. Uh, And as the uh, Republicans, uh, one quote here, I know we got to get out here, um, but uh, AP reported after the vote last night, uh, one of the uh, Republican, Tom MacArthur from New Jersey, uh, a leader of the centrist group of House Republicans. So both centrist and the Tea Party are now getting very concerned about this. He said he'd oppose uh, moving forward with the budget to repeal. There was too little information about the replacement, including whether people receiving expanded Medicaid coverage or health care sub- subsidies under the existing law would be protected. He said, quote, we're loading a gun here. I want to know where it's pointed Before we start the process, reality setting in for Republicans in the Congress. Will that reality ever set in for Donald Trump? We'll see. Will will, uh, anyone in the media force that reality? We'll see. Larry Flint of Hustler Magazine joins me next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. 
I see what you did there, <laughs> Desi Doyen. Very clever. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Throughout the presidential campaign and even since Election Day, Donald Trump has threatened the media. He has literally placed them into pens at rallies. He has targeted them as despicable and disgusting and has said he hoped to change libel laws once becoming president to make it easier to sue the media and to put them out of business altogether, never mind the U.S. constitutional uh, First Amendment. At the same time, the media have served as Donald Trump's biggest champion, even while being targeted. They've given him billions of dollars of free airtime in exchange uh, for huge boosts to their ratings uh, in the run-up to the election. But in doing so, many have argued, as I have, that they have failed in their job of adequately informing the American electorate about who this guy is and how he has lied and how he remains the most wildly underqualified, and I think I'm putting it nicely, uh, underqualified person to ever run for, much less win the presidency of the United States. And that doesn't even get us to all of his uh, historic conflicts of interest. In a recent full-page ad taken out in Variety, Larry Flint, the First Amendment champion and publisher of Hustler magazine, which, by the way, is a porn magazine, if there's anybody in the whole wide world who doesn't know that, Larry Flint posted an open letter headlined, Wake Up Media. It starts this way. Dear Mainstream Press, you've done it again. Your lack of responsible reporting has betrayed this great nation. You have helped create this monster we now call President-elect Trump. It is up to you to bring him down, providing you have the backbone to do so. Never before in our history have you, the press, been so complacent in an election as you have in this past one. The letter ends, uh, it goes on to uh, describe some of the uh, media's failings, and it goes on to end with this argument. There are more accurate articles in Hustler than in most of the coverage I have seen this past election. That says something now, doesn't it? And it's signed by Larry Flint, chairman and president of Larry Flint Publications, Inc. Well, maybe that says something. I should note by way of full disclosure here, I'm a regular contributing columnist at Hustler magazine, so I'm not sure if I should be... uh, Happy or insulted by Mr. Flint's assertion there. Nonetheless, I'm happy to be joined by Larry Flint to discuss his letter and his fears and concerns about both the mainstream corporate media and what may lie ahead for all of us in a Donald Trump administration. Larry Flint is a free speech activist, a First Amendment champion, and as I said, longtime publisher of Hustler magazine. Larry Flint, it's been a long time. Uh, Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Glad to be with you. Thank uh, you. Yeah, glad to have you here. Uh, now, you argue uh, in your uh, recent full-page ad in Variety that the mainstream media has failed in their role. How do you feel they have have that they have done that to date in their in their coverage of Donald Trump? Well, it's one thing to talk about untruthfulness and walking things back and watching them mm-hmm. uh, dodge answering the questions, but you know, the morning shows are the biggest offenders of this, the Sunday morning shows, which mm-hmm. everybody watches to get their election news. Trump's been playing them like a fiddle. And it's like they don't want to upset Trump or make him mad because they want him to call in or come back to their show. So... Uh, 
they don't confront him mm-hmm. like they should when he tells a lie. You know, a lie is a lie. You know, if if somebody wants to express an opinion, that's one thing. The viewing audience can either accept or reject the opinion. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with facts and you're proved to be a liar, you should not be invited back on the show unless you're willing to apologize for the lie and tell the truth. Now, no one would ever go that far with Trump to say, well, you can't come on the show anymore because mm-hmm. you lied. And they see their, their ratings being hurt because they take that position. But if the media collectively would take a position like that, that they're, you know, that they're they're going to report mm-hmm. the way they should and let the chips fall where they may, I, I don't think Trump will be where he is today. Well, you argue in your piece, uh, Larry Flint, that uh, in your open letter, I should say, that it, it, to the media, you say it is up to you to bring him down, providing you have the backbone to do so. Let me let me be the devil's advocate here for a second. Uh, is it the media's role to bring him down or to bring down a president, as you suggest? Uh, or is it the no. you know, the media have long argued it's just our role to no. report? No. They're the ones putting there. So they've got no right to complain. And they did so by their bliss and mediocre uh, coverage of Trump and the election, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's not a question of bringing somebody down so much as it is a question of cover him like they would cover any other candidate. I mean, my God, every time this guy opens his mouth, he lies. <laughs> right. And the press is so used to it, they just gloss over it. Now, you, uh, Larry, you run a, a porn magazine. You don't need to include news articles in the magazine, uh, like those written by myself and, and Robert Shear and, and many others. Uh, though you note that uh, Hustler's articles are more accurate in most of the coverage that I've seen than, uh, than you know, other media. Uh, why do you uh, continue to run news in your uh, magazine? Why is that so important to you? And is it a response to the well, to the media failure? My uh, my readers are interested more than just porn. They're they're interested in entertainment. They're they're interested in politics. We're as much a political and satire magazine as and humor as we are a sex publication. So. Uh, we have columnists like yourself and other people and write very interesting columns on a regular basis. And uh, my readers appreciate this. Mm-hmm. Well, do you feel the failure here by the corporate media uh, to not cover news, which you guys actually do, and I can attest to that firsthand, do you feel that their failure here in truth is any more egregious than it was in recent years during the uh, Obama administration, the Bush years and their Iraq war coverage, or the Clinton years during their impeachment coverage? Well, 
it's never been as bad as it has with Trump. Now, you know, stop and think about what I just said earlier about every time this guy opens his mouth, he tells a lie. You know, I mean, that should not be tolerated by any member of the press. They should not just expose him for the lie he told. They should expose him for the charlatan that he is, and that's what he is. Tom Press uh, threatened to change libel laws while he was running uh, to go after media outlets in a number of ways. Uh, as a first, uh, uh, yeah, as a First Amendment champion. When, when a strong man or a dictator takes control, the first thing they want to get rid of is a free press. And the next thing that goes is your individual freedoms and civil liberties. You know, that's, that's the way they control people. And uh, Trump's no different. You know, if he can get more power he gets, the more absolute he's going to deal with that power. And he's frightening to a lot of people, and some people are just keeping their mouth shut. But not me and others that I know are, are going to continue to, to fight the good fight. You have no particular fears uh, that he would come after uh, publications like yours? <laughs> I've been... I've been putting out censorship brush bars for the last three decades, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reagan and Bush put me to it, uh, you know. If uh, Trump wants a piece of action, he can have it, too. <laughs> <laughs> you you put out speaking of Trump and a piece of the action you put out a, uh, a, a an, an article a call actually I guess prior to the uh, prior to the election seeking uh, incriminating uh, videotapes or audio tapes of, of Donald Trump the hustler companies offered up one million dollars for verifiable video footage uh, or audio recording clearly showing Donald Trump engaging in illegal activity or acting in a sexually demeaning or derogatory manner. I know you did something similar during the uh, Clinton and uh, Bush, uh, George W. Bush presidencies, and it actually well, led to Bob Livingston having to resign. Yeah. Have you had any luck with this well, uh, latest effort? Well, with Trump, we found a lot of stuff, but it's nothing that would bring him down. See, in the old days, when I first started exposing those hypocrites in Washington, uh, you know, you could bring them down with an affair. Now you need more. You need some corruption to go along with that affair. And Trump, I mean, he's notorious for his behavior with women and his womanizing and philandering. Mm-hmm. So none of that was not going to hurt him. We chased a couple of stories which we're still working on where he engaged underage prostitutes for his friends and himself and something like that would probably hurt if we could if we could make it stick but other than that as far as the women Nothing's going to happen. To be clear, those are charges. Uh, they're, they're not proven. They're allegations about uh, underage no, sex. No, no, they're just, just, just allegations. We're, we're, we're still working on some Trump stories now. We don't know where they're going to go. 
Uh, is is the offer still available, by the way, for $1 million for uh, any such footage? Yes, anything that we use, yes. All right. Uh, well, we'll keep our eyes out for that. Uh, before I let you go here, Mr. Flynn, I have told, uh, I've told this story for many years, and I, I even recently wrote about it uh, in a column for you guys. Years ago, uh, one of my stories uh, was featured on the cover of Hustler. It was the blatant voter fraud committed by then- GOP superstar Ann Coulter, uh, and it was back during the darkest of the Bush years, during the Iraq War, when when so many in the corporate media refused to cover anything that was seen as negative towards Republicans or the administration. And all during those years, you guys continued to uh, to publish fearlessly in that regard. And the issue with my name on the cover, I held it up. I was speaking at an independent media cover uh, conference up in uh, Northern California. Bush was still in office. I held it up and I said, sometimes you go to press, not with the media you want, but with the media that you have. And uh, I want to thank you for that, especially uh, because once again, I think we're going to need magazines like Hustler in these dark years ahead. Oh, thank you. I've always felt that way. Uh, keep on uh, being the free speech actor. And by the way, if people haven't seen uh, Oliver Stone's The People versus Larry Flint, uh, you should. Uh, do, do you like that movie, by the way, Larry? Uh, yeah, Woody Allison plays me better than I play myself. <laughs> and another thing to remember about us, uh, we've, we've helped uh, millions of people get through puberty. That's been <laughs> Very important contribution. <laughs> you, you, you have indeed. Thanks for all of your contributions. Uh, Larry Flint, a free speech activist, First Amendment champion, uh, longtime publisher of Hustler magazine. You can find you can find his non-pornographic work at LarryFlint.com. We will link to your uh, to your full-paged ad uh, at Bradblog.com. Mr. Flint, thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, I know we're out of time. Uh, my thanks to Larry Flint of Hustler. He's uh, he's quite a character, isn't he? He is, and you know, the good thing is he's yeah. got the long view. Uh, well, he does, yeah. He's been at this long enough, and I will tell you this. I wasn't kidding. During the uh, dark years of the Bush administration, after 9-11, you could not publish a piece that reflected poorly on Republicans, and those guys at Hustler never flinched. And I'll also reiterate, of all the places that I have ever written for, They've got the toughest fact checkers in the business over there at Hustler. Anyway, uh, thanks to Larry Flint. Uh, Thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. My thanks as ever to our producer, Desi Doyen. And you can find and follow us and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, I think that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.